out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the East London band, The Gym Slips, who have just had a reissue um, compilation collection out on Optic Nerve Records recently, titled Rockin' with the Renés. This is also with a bonus 7-inch single, which is titled The Silly Egg EP. I spoke to one of the members, drummer Karen Yarnell, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview, so after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Karen, it's over to you. I mean, I was kind of brought up around music. My dad's like a folk musician that plays Irish and English music. So I had that. Um, and then he was always playing jazz and gospel music. So I had kind of had that introduction, but there was no pop music in the house. So I did, yeah, like Slade were my favourite band during that time. Um, but the first music that I really loved really was like 50s rock and roll, like Little Richard and early Elvis. That was the first music that I remember thinking, this is absolutely fantastic. And then I moved on from that and have gone through different genres. Yes. That's amazing because um, I know when David Bowie and Lemmy from Motorhead used to talk about their you know musical moment, it was always Little Richard and then it was Eddie Cochran and Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley, but it was always Little Richard. They, they huge influence on both of them. So you can see that in Bowie, especially. So that was quite interesting. So, what was your what was your dad? Did he was he in a, any particular slightly well known folk band, or was it on just the folk circuit? He he used to work with um, you and McCall and Peggy Seeger, um, right? With the, they had a, a kind of it was like a theatrical, musical, political group called Critics Group, but it wasn't like set people. There were, there were different people came in and out of it over the years. Like Mike, Michael Rosen was one of those people and uh, some people from the Dubliners would come for a while and they would talk about um, how to sing folk music properly and discuss political things. So, but then he moved on to Irish music. He was in a band, but it wasn't like a band that was really well known. Yes. Blimey, it does happen. So, yes, you had you had that advantage of having, having sort of, yes kind of musical family. So then as as the sort of the, the 70s progressed, um, did you, at that stage, did you go through a sort of, I mean, I had an older brother who had a huge influence on me, actually. He he was seven years older. He was very into prog rock, so that was fantastic. So we completely missed punk. But did you, did you have any other sort of family that kind of influenced you? Was it mostly your dad? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there wasn't anyone else. I'm the eldest of four, so... They they look to me, I think, <laughs> more. So, um, no, not in the family, no, no. No. So then did punk play a big part in your life? It did, yeah, because I, so when it's, okay, I was born in 61, so I was 16 when punk started. Magic. At the very, very beginning, I was a little bit unsure, like with the Sex Pistols, and I wasn't actually really a big fan of theirs. Um, I think I liked um, X-Ray Specs were my favourite band. Um, John Cooper Clark, um, Elvis Costello, yeah, Blondie, I suppose. Um, yes. 
So did you? Yeah. I was going to say, did you? Where did you grow up? Where? What sort of area? Because obviously, Um, East London, East Ham. Right. So you'd have had a bit more. We were born in the countryside, so it was just very. I wouldn't say backward, but you know, culturally, things don't really happen much for five or ten years after you know a trend happens. So punk never sort of reached our sort of village really so it was a bit unfortunate but you would have been right there in the in the hub of it really what was your first kind of gig you went to um i, I do remember going to see the boomtown rats i think that was the first big gig but then i'd been to other smaller like pub things that and there were bands that maybe they weren't anyone at the time but then later on they became more well known Yes, I know. Everyone's writing their memoirs at the moment. I did an interview with this name Dorothy Max Pryor, who who was in London during the sort of seventy five to eighty two, and and again that was that sort of punk period of meeting, you know, people like Vivian and Malcolm, and then Throbbing Gristle, that kind of world of early Adamants and Marco Peroni. It was just like amazing kind of. It was more of the arty side to punk rather than the sort of, I don't know, pub rock blokey side the part you know punk which kind of is a bit tedious really isn't it yeah 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 in fact i mean that's what the thing that i did like about punk um is the diy part of it and i still have that i still like to like try and do as much as we can ourselves yes <laughs> you know organize our own gigs make posters and maybe t-shirts and that kind of thing without getting like big business involved that's kind yeah. of what happened with the punk. It started off as like on street level, but then it just got taken over by a big record company. But everything does really eventually. Yes, this is true. This is true. So what was the you went for drums, didn't you? Was this kind of something that you did from an early age or was it you came into it a bit later? I think I started like when I was a teenager. Oh, when I was at school, yeah, yeah, but I never had lessons or anything. I just used to um, play at home, try and teach myself, maybe not that successfully, but it was adequate what we needed then. Yes. Were yeah, you influenced? So... I was just wondering if you were influenced by anybody, sort of any particular person like Mo Tucker or anybody like that sort of came into your consciousness. I didn't know any other women drummers at that time because we didn't have the internet so it was kind of hard to find out that information yes um, there was a band who played in my local pub that were all women they were actually like my mum's age though and if I actually went to school with my mum and there were three sisters and one sister-in-law and they were called the mission bells um so even though they were quite cheesy because they'd done like all covers um, and they were just a pub band, really, but they had been quite well known in the sixties. Um, but because they were like, they used to play in the nearest pub to me, so I, I had that kind of influence. Um, which is, yeah, it's a bit cheesy that, but um, <laughs> no, not any other way. I didn't really think about it. I just done it. It wasn't. I just wanted to play drums, that was all. Yes, absolutely. And then sort of as this sort of the 70s crept in and we got sort of 79, Margaret Thatcher gets in, which is a massive moment in our lives. And then sort of from there, there was the Falkland War and then there was the miners' crisis and then there was um, Greenham Common and, you know, lots of kind of inner city rioting. I mean, how did that sort of sort of 
have an effect on you at that stage in life? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I used to go to quite a lot of demos um, and the Anti-Nazi League, that was the one that, when I was at school that started. And I remember that was my first demo. I think I went to Brixton with someone from school and there were quite a lot of bands playing there. There was a lot of reggae music. Yes. Um, yeah, because punk and reggae were kind of side by side, really. Um, yeah, it was so different. You you just think it's always going to stay like that, but it was everyone together, like even skinheads. I mean, there were there were two types of skinheads. So there were the anti-Nazi ones, and then there were the proper Nazi ones. So <laughs> it was all mixed. You just couldn't really tell by yes. the way that someone dressed what they were really. Um, but yeah, there's yeah the whole Thatcher thing yeah was terrible. Although to be honest, I think it's actually much worse now. <laughs> and like you know, like five six years ago, I looked back on that time thinking, oh god, it was so terrible when Thatcher was running the country. But it really now it seems quite tame now compared <laughs> to what we've got. Yes, I know. God knows, it's confusing now, isn't it? Did you did you leave at sixteen, or did you stay on for A levels and university at that stage? Um, I did stay on for a couple of years to do our A level and some other um, just O levels. But and I I probably would have gone to our school, but then I jo- I um, joined the band and, and it kind of took over. Right. So you this was your full full time hustle. No, I had I actually. I did have a job, like an office job. I worked for, well, for BT and then I worked for a housing association. And we were, all of us, all three of us were in jobs, full-time jobs. Fantastic. There you go. So when did the band sort of come together? Because it was kind of 81 to 83, your first lineup, wasn't it? Or the first kind of period. Did you Had you sort of formed before then? There was there was a band with called Jim Slips, um, but it was with two of the, yeah, the other two members. But it was very different. Um, so Suzanne, who, who played played bass, was playing rhythm guitar, and we had another bass player, but she was just, I don't know, she was quite racist and homophobic and just always late for everything. That's what done it in the end, because she we, we were doing a gig and we were waiting for her, and she hadn't even left her house, and we just thought, you know, we've had enough. <laughs> so we just got rid of her. Um, but then after she was gone, that was when their style started to, like, take shape. Yes. So was that Suzanne that, who took over as the full-time member? Yeah, she she was already in the band. But oh, she you... decided to play bass instead of the person who, that we got rid of. Yes, um, which is fair and, enough. Yeah, and Paula Paula was the guitarist. So it was just the three of us for most of the time. Until later on, we decided that we wanted another member, so we got keyboards. I know that's very racy, a keyboard player, isn't it? <laughs> you think so? <laughs> um, well, it's quite a common. <clears throat> you know, it does change the sound somewhat, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think because it was like eighty-two, so punk was really not in fashion much then so I think we were beginning to think oh we want something a little bit more I don't know maybe commercial or not so so hard maybe a bit more poppy sounding 
Yeah, I mean, it was quite an interesting time because there was obviously punk, and as most people, you know, have said who were there, it didn't last really that long before it all slightly went, mm, that's not so great anymore. And then there's that sort of post-punk period with, you know, bands like Magazine and Gang of Four and I suppose Public Image Limited. That was kind of like quite scratchy and a little bit odd. And then there was that kind of world, there was the like the Marine Girls, weren't there, and Dolly Mixture and bands like that started to appear. And um, and for me, I was more, because I was that bit younger, just, but um, yeah, it was kind of indie pop, you know, 82, 83, where you suddenly got these bands like the Smiths and June Brides and suddenly this kind of jingly jangly world of people. And I thought, wow, this is my soundtrack to my life. So um, that kind of was a massive moment, really. But um, you'd been together since 81, hadn't you? Which is a, yeah. it's a sort of the crossover. Because then also you had, I suppose you had that new romantic electronic sound, and then you had new Paisley, and then you had goth as well. So there was all these kind of little tribes and two-tone, obviously, as well. So it was kind of an interesting period, really. Yeah, I suppose it was quite experimental. And um yeah, it's still good because it was they were all new things, weren't they? People were still doing what they wanted to do. Yes, and what what I've also noticed is that um, during that period and a bit later, there were so many people who who were unemployed and they you know claimed the job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance schemes, and I think that gave everybody a, a kind of a couple of years of just faffing about, but then being in a band and recording something and and for most people at that stage you know getting a record played on John Peel was all they all they wanted and then you were oh we've got a John Peel session and then suddenly an album and a transit band going around the the country playing in all the art centres you know during the early part of the week when you know most people had a alternative night so it did foster quite a lot of creative kind of yeah excitement at that stage yeah can't wait for that to happen again <laughs> <laughs> I know well strangely having those gatekeepers is quite useful isn't it really so um so when did you because you played a lot of John Peel sessions didn't you yeah we've done um well we've done three and then after the band split and then but it carried on with different members they had a, they had another one and then we also done one Kid Jensen so that was four BBC sessions yeah it was great actually Yes. I mean, can you remember much about them and, and who your producer was at that time? Oh, yes. Uh, it was never the same producer, but I think we did have, uh, what's his name from Mott the Hoople? Was oh, Dale Griffith. Yeah, yeah, him. I'm not sure if he'd done one or two. He might have done two of them, actually. Um, but, yeah, no, he was great. And I think, really, we just went for the canteen, actually, because the food was really cheap. <laughs> um but yeah you you could only you know you had to go in there and do three or four songs in one day and that's including the mixing so it was quite full on yes so your first one <clears throat> you did was it four or five songs you did you did big sister 48 crash you'll never walk alone and erica and renee oh, yeah. okay so um the you'll never walk alone that was like John Pill wanted every band who recorded for him to record a version of that because um, he was like a big Liverpool fan. Um, and we actually completely forgot about it. And it wasn't until we went in the studio and they said, oh, don't forget you got to do You'll Never Walk Alone. And we thought, oh, no, we hadn't prepared anything at all. So we just kind of done it like a football chant. <laughs> 
and then overdubbed it so it sounded like there were more people. Yeah. But it was actually just done on the spot. Because you did two sessions in 82 in May and then back in September. Had you got a record label by then? Because you yes. were on abstract and yeah. um and that was gonna be I think it was yeah, you did 48 Crash was your first single, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we must have yeah, I can't quite remember. I think we got the deal maybe after the first session. Um yeah, and 48 Crash, because that's a cover, I can't yeah, I was not happy about doing that. Because we didn't really like consciously try to change anything. Um and we wanted to do one of our own songs, but they said, no, we think you should do like covers, you know, to get yourself known. And then maybe with the next single, you can do one of your own songs. Right. So I think that was that, that was that the alarm song, 48 Crash? No, it's Susie Quattro. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Devil Date, Devil Date, Devil Something Drive. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there you go. My God, you did. I mean, that was amazing having two John Peel sessions and then a single somewhere in there as well. So obviously, and where, had you toured as well with Dolly Mixture as well at that stage? We used to do a lot of gigs with him. I don't know if you would call it an actual tour. Um, no, not not a tour, I don't think. But they were really great friends of ours, so we used to play with them all the time. Yes. So when you went back to do your follow-up single, which is Big Sister, which features Yo-Yo and Pie and Mash, this was, um, you were in a, quite a fancy studio at this stage, weren't you? The um, Point Studios, Island Studios. <clears throat> I just remember it was in West London. I don't remember what it was called. Um, to be honest, I don't remember actually recording it. <laughs> I remember recording 48 Crash. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. And with the songs, because they're quite funky and, and fun, aren't they? And I was just listening to some of them. I mean, lyrically, they're quite they're quite amusing in places and quite um language just right straight out there, isn't there as well? Did you enjoy it? Was it an interest exciting process, you know, writing at this stage? used to sit around the table and say oh, what should we what should we write about and um, we would write about people we knew or what we were doing that day it was just like our life and the way the lyrics were written I mean when I hear it now it, to me it sounds just really naive but you know I mean we were only 18 19 whatever yes um so and I do kind of feel a little bit cringy about it um but yeah it was just how we how we spoke the way that we wrote our songs so with that track Renee's Renee's did you um yeah I mean can you remember where you were and how that sort of came about that particular track um I think we was I think we were just at home writing out the words I think the tune um was kind of really partly written by Paula's boyfriend at the time, Gary, I think he kind of came up with a bit of that tune. Um, and then the words we just wrote. Sometimes we would write like one verse each of certain songs. Like with, with um, Drink Problem, we all wrote our own verse. Right. 
uh, which we sang individually. And did you bring the, the lyrics first or was it the music melody? How did it work? It, it was, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a way of doing it. It was just someone might say, oh, I've got this riff. Let's write some words to it. Or someone might have some words to say, let's write, you know, song to it. Could be it could be anything <laughs> that's excellent and what was it like being on abstract records because they they sort of had quite a good roster at this stage hadn't they and they'd they were quite a new label as well yeah i kind of felt that it was quite a good label to be on um there was a little bit of problem that because because it was a small label when 48 crash came out it started to get quite a lot of airplay um and it was on i don't know you remember Round Table? Oh yes. Where they would, and funnily enough, Susie Quattro was on that when they were playing the Forty Eight Crash. But it got a lot of good reviews, and people wanted to buy it, but there just wasn't um, enough money behind it to get it into the shops. Right. That's mainly why it didn't really take off. And I know that. Um, Edward, who ran Abstract, he, he was going to remortgage his house so, so he could get more money behind it, but his wife said no, <laughs> um, which I don't blame her for, no. to be honest. So, like... But that must have been a problem that a lot of small labels had. Yeah, because it had, a, had an amazingly kind of big roster for the early 80s, so obviously he was in a bit of a, a good sort of run of form at that stage. He definitely had the musical zeitgeist, actually. So when you, because the album came out 83, didn't it? This was, this was all put together. So had that been recorded in just kind of over a week in a, in a particular studio? It actually only took two days. Right. For the, the main part of the album, there are a few extra songs on there that were put on afterwards. But... We recorded and recorded and mixed them in one weekend. That is really good going. So your producer of that one was John Owen Williams. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was really good actually. I think he be, he became head of Polydor Records sometime after that. Right. He was really, really helpful and a really good producer actually. Yes. And as with everything, once the album came out, were you touring it that much or, or going around playing shows? Um, yes, we were. We didn't really do many big tours because we were working still. Um, at the very end, we did decide to leave our jobs because it was getting a bit too much. But then not long after that is when the band, the band split anyway. Um, so, yes, we were doing a lot of, London and outside London, then occasionally, you know, Birmingham, Manchester. But we never, I think we just done one tour throughout England, but we weren't really like a big touring band. No, it's so tricky, isn't it? So tricky. Were you doing mostly kind of art centres and did you play many benefit gigs at this stage? I just wonder if you got sort of pulled into that circuit. Yeah, we've done loads of benefit gigs and um, colleges which I don't think those gigs are around anymore. No. Yeah, colleges, yeah, art centres, yeah, all of those sort of things. Did you get quickly sort of put in a sort of slightly label or bracketed, you know, because of sort of being a all-female band and, you know, writing your own material and sort of the subject matter? I just wondered if 
you quickly went, my God, we've got all these kind of fans that are suddenly following us around the country or certainly being very committed when we play in town. Um, I suppose the all-female thing was a bit of a tag, really. Um, but apart from that, it was kind of quite difficult for people to label us, I think. I don't really know where you put it because we weren't anything like the slits or the raincoats. <coughs> they were very different types of bands. Yes. Um, and we didn't really cross each other's paths. A bit. I mean, now, I, now I've met, met a lot of them. Um, but at that time, we didn't really. Yeah. So then sort of 83 to 84, you get your keyboard player, Kathy comes in. But then... Do you record much more material after that? I mean, once the band expands and once the album, because you had Big Sister, then you had Robot Man, and then the following year you had Evil Eye. Um, yeah, so what was was the band struggling to do a follow-up album? Um, we did have quite... We had quite a few new songs after she joined. Um I don't know how long it was before, because Evil Eye was after I'd left. Um, so I'm trying to think what track she was on. Um, Valley Girl. Um, there was about, on the album, she was on quite a few of the, few of the tracks, actually. Yes. I think about, about four or five. So did you, was it 84 you decided to leave the band? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 84. You had your Ziggy Stardust moment, didn't you? You went, that's it, I've had it. <laughs> I'm quitting. Was it what was the what was the reason for for leaving after sort of being part of it? Um, well basically we we had this a ma this manager who wasn't actually signed to us, but he'd caused us quite a lot of problems. He wasn't really great at his job. And we wanted to to get rid of him but well me and Kathy who's the keyboard player wanted to just like get rid of him straight away and Suzanne said oh, I think we should give him a few more months but Paula didn't want to get rid of him at all and it just ended up in a huge argument and it just split and God. So it was yeah it was really terrible um, and we had that we had actually been planning to go to America because we had some interest over there. Um, but it just happened so quickly. And in fact, it was John Williams, who was the producer of the album, phoned me to say, listen, you've got all this interest in America. I think maybe you should try and like reconcile because you could, you could do really well. So uh, we decided to speak with Paula about it. But this was literally like two weeks later. She'd already got another band together. Um, and so she carried on, but using the same name, using the name of the Jim Flips. Yes. But just completely changed the style of music. It became this like synthy, um, like that evil eye, which is like a completely different style. So, yeah, we missed out on that. But to be honest, I think maybe... It was kind of coming to the end anyway. We would have had to change our style because punk was really not fashionable anymore. No, it was over. So we might have, 
you know, had gone to America and had a nice time there and then thought, well, what are we going to do now? Yes, this is true. I don't know, you might have had a cult following. So then did you go into serious drinking at this stage? Yeah, so, yeah, quite soon after that, um, they were looking for someone, a drummer, and, yeah, I joined them. It was, that was great. <laughs> That's fantastic. So they, they had sort of, yeah, I'd done an interview, which I don't know which member it was now, actually. Could have been Lance, I don't know. Oh, there's Terry Edwards as well. So you were there. So did you did you feature on any of their recordings like Country Girl became? Yeah, yeah, I'm on that one. You're on that one? Yeah. My God. So what was it like sort of sort of being in a different band with a completely different lineup? It was um yeah, it was really great actually. Um I really loved being in that band. It was very different because it was like six met blokes and me. Um but they were all really nice. Um, I can't say I had any problems with them at all. And I really liked the songs and they had a good following and it was quite exciting. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, because they, they, they were already quite established. Yes. Um, so we toured quite a lot more. So we were in Germany, Holland, France, I think, Ireland we went to. Which we'd never done with Jim Slips, we'd never managed to really have the time to go abroad. So that was that was really nice. Yes. How many years did the serious drinking phase last for? Um, it, it wasn't huge. I think it was only two years, but it just kind of fizzled out. Really, it was the same thing. You know, like where do we go from now? We started to write new songs, and we went over to Berlin to. Like recorded another album. Excellent. It, it just kind of didn't happen. I think, like the enthusiasm had kind of gone by then. Oh dear. Yes. And then what happened? Then, then after that, do you stay in music or do you go back to the another hustle? For for a short time, I joined another band called the Blubbery Hellbellies, that were kind of. <laughs> Like it's like country and western music, but it was like a a joke because they were all like fat blokes, um, and that was yeah that was quite good fun. But I think it was only it was less than a year that I was with them. Yes. Um. And then after that, no. So then after that, me and Paula got back together and made another band called The Reenies, which was. So I suppose by then we were a little bit better musically. So it was it was good, but um it just seemed just seemed to be really hard to get gigs and so you know, we struggled along for a couple of years and having different members and it was nice for a while. It was it was it was quite good, but then that's that fizzled out as well. Yes. So how did you because Paula obviously had yeah, had formed, you know, kept the band going with new members. Did you did you have to kind of have a bit of a clear the air moment and um talk about that that little chapter in the band Jim Slips? Um, I mean, yes, when I like found her later, she did apologize. Um yeah, so it's just how it is sometimes, isn't it? 
Yes, I know. It, these these things happen in the world of rock and roll and indie pop. But um, and then to, in the nineties, did you continue with music or did you put it to one side at that no, stage? I just I I stopped playing for about twenty five years probably. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, and then uh, but I've 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 gone back to it now, um, but not playing drum kit. I'm playing like hand hand drums or things that you can carry around with you things you can get on the bus with a jimby <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah or it's a darbuka that i play which is a bit like a jimby right but it's, it's middle eastern excellent this is good and do, and have you sort of do you have sort of a, a a community or is it a band that you're now part of um i am a i'm in a band that plays balkan music um called shunta and then I'm also part of an, uh, a jamming group that is uh, that plays klezmer music. But we do actually do gigs, but it's more like community things like Christmas fairs, charity yes. events, that kind of thing. And it's not always the same people, it's, it's just whoever happens to be around at that time. And then we have jam sessions once a month at least or more. So that's really, really good fun. Yes. So when did the, the idea of releasing that, uh, the album suddenly come come into the consciousness? What what now, you mean? Yes, the gym slips kind I of. I think it was because um, Edward from Abstract sold all the, the, all the rights to the music to Cherry Red. Good old Cherry Red. And it, yeah, since, since it's been with them, things have started happening. Like even some money came in, which we never ever got from Abstract. <laughs> wow, that's so good. So right, Abstract is gone. So hopefully there'll be more releases from the label, won't there? I mean, yeah. I mean, if it sells, I don't know. I don't know how much interest there is. I don't know. How many did they print Optic Nerve on this? don't know actually i'm not sure if they've said many yes well i'm i'm very excited i always think they get the it comes a part of your life where archiving suddenly becomes quite kind of feels quite exciting doesn't it sort of putting things in order just in you know especially in this day and age so it's quite nice that um you'll you might get a cult following after or after all this yeah i think there is a small cult following i mean there was i put a couple of um well, the one video that we had, which were videos that were a new thing um, at the time with gym slips, no one had a copy set. A friend of mine had the only copy that we knew existed. And because and he was like a sound engineer, he managed to get it together and then we put it onto YouTube. So, and that's got quite a lot of um, hits. Yes. Um, there are, and you know, a few comments and, People say, oh, I remember this band and what happened to them and, you know, those, that kind of thing. I wonder if, are you on Spotify as well? No. Well, well it's probably a good thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's, such a, it's a, <laughs> such a tricky one, Spotify. I mean, I suppose it gives people the access to sort of listen to music, but um, you just never know, do you? Sort of, you know, the royal, oh, you are on Spotify. Oh, really? Yes, you get over 500 listens a month. There you go. 
It's got to be done, hasn't it? And um, look at Evil Eye. Oh, actually, Evil Eye is even on there as well. I suppose it's a sort of... Does the album or the CD, does that have bonus tracks on it? Uh, yes. It's got other things that weren't recorded um, when we recorded the album. <clears throat> I think it's yeah. got the singles and the B-sides of the singles as well. Oh, and you've also appeared on various other compilations, haven't you? Make more noise, and also the the sun shines here, which are two cherry red record compilations. So, obviously, it's all good, all good sort of for the publicity front. I mean, if you could have said something to your um kind of sixteen year old self starting out in music, is there anything that you'd have whispered and said, "This would be a really good thing to have known about"? Uh, don't think. Can't think of anything that would have been a good thing to know, but I think I would have said, "Try not to be so naive about about people." But then I suppose that's just being young, isn't it? Um, yes. Well, that's an interesting one because I know quite a few people have talked about that kind of um, being better, judging others in a good way. But you know, yeah, I understand that in a way. About being naive about um, certain situations, or you know, sometimes sort of not getting a good vibe from someone, and I don't know. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a funny one being young, isn't it? You make some one or two bad mistakes with friendships that you know you think that was just a bit silly, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does happen. But then you, that's fine. That's that's hopefully hopefully you learn the lesson and don't keep repeating it too much. So that's all good. Anyway, look, well, this has been great, Karen. This is fantastic. Well, thank you for giving me the time for this. This is great to get it. And um, and if you want, I can always send you the link. I do, do you have any, you know, the band or anybody has, has a Facebook page for the for the um, gym slips? Just because sometimes they post it on those sort of sites. Um, I think I think one of the members of these, like second phase of the band, did start a Facebook page. Um, but I'm not sure if she's like kept it up to date. Right. That's fair enough. Did you um with this release, have you sort of been in touch with the other members of the band? Well, I mean, unfortunately Suzanne died last year. This in fact, this very week a year ago. Um and Paula yes, I've been in touch with Paula. So it's only and Kathy as well. So they all know like what's going on. Yes. And is everyone sort of generally excited about the release? <laughs> I mean, Kathy's a bit like, oh well, wasn't really me, you know, I've only done a couple of songs. But but you know, no, she's happy that it's it's happening. Um and yeah, Paula's I don't know if she's excited really. She's kind of like doing something else now, so she's not really interested in music. Yes, this happens, doesn't it, sometimes? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, that's great. Well, thank you ever so much for uh, giving me the time for the interview because that's been great to do it. And, um, yes, I hope it goes, yeah, well. And, um, anyway, and have a great merry midwinter and all that. It should be good. Yeah, you too. Okay, well, look, thanks ever so much. I'll let you have a nice evening. Take care. Thank you. Okay, all right.
Bye. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Karen Yarnell from The Gym Slip talking about life in music. The album and a bonus seven-inch single is out on Optic Nerve Recordings. Uh, records in Preston or from Preston so do check the label out because they have got some amazing stuff this has been um, the C86 show David Eastall if you want to contact me you can on Facebook Twitter Instagram just do C86 show also these have all been archived on Spotify iTunes Podbeam anyway have a great week stay safe <laughs>